This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 49er. You can do it all your life. Sports are wonderful, but there will become a point where I can't do the sports or I can't, you know, run like I would want. But for the majority of people from birth until you die, you can. You know, when a baby's cooing, it's musical, you know, and then you can play piano forever or you can sing forever. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. What's going on, everyone? This is Ken Herman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Mr. Matt, the Dog Walker Rogers. Matt, we are nearing Thanksgiving break, as at least in terms of this recording. It will come out uh, probably close to December, but how are you doing? I don't think I've asked you in a couple of weeks. I just force a challenging question on you right away. How am I doing? So... um Report cards were due yesterday. Nice. Uh, conferences are next week. Um, my dog gets spayed on the Wednesday of Thanksgiving. I mean, Matt, this is it, a clean show. Hey, I'm not going any further than that with detail. Um, legitimately, things are are pretty good. Yeah, um, it's pretty hectic. You know, the moment that the kids have completed all the work for a report card. You know, I feel like we scramble and scramble to get them all up to date and get everything in. Um, it always brings up this challenging thought in my head of how many grades do I need to have to justify the grade I'm going to give them? You know, if I have one really involved project, is that enough data points to make a report card grade? Or if I do 30 exit tickets, of two questions a piece, does that make it any more accurate? Um, it's always a challenging thing. And, and uh, frankly, I use the number grade as a guideline to reinforce what I think they deserve. Um, that's how I do it in my classroom. And, and that's what I am then able to justify to parents in conferences. But once that's done, you know what, uh, we've talked about conference before in a previous podcast. I think that's, you've done the legwork to have really good conversations and also lead into the most important thing to come out of conferences, which is goal setting for the rest of the year. Is that a good answer? I know I'm supposed to kick it over to you, but I, I usually just jump in there. <laughs> it was a great answer. I just thought maybe you would say... Hey, Ken, how are you doing? You know, I mean, seeing as uh, that does, we kind of are friends in, in addition to hosting the show together. Does anyone really want to know? I don't know. I mean, how are you, Ken? How are you doing in your role right now uh, besides just being a father of three? I'm doing very well. Uh, it's 
this year is different. Um, and in some respects, I think it's actually more challenging for teachers because we're faced with many of the COVID barriers that are still out there. But for the most part, school is normal in the sense that everybody's there, everybody's attending every day. And so I feel like the expectations are what they were in 2019, but education is much different now. And so, you know, I'm just seeing a lot of different challenges that everybody's facing and just trying to do my best in supporting that. I've had a lot of opportunities and I've talked about some of them on the show here of just doing some fun, creative lessons with teachers. Um, I was in a class last week working with a, a teacher on just a, a small tweak and modification that we did um, that actually we talked about on uh, last week's episode, but she was just so positive. She had great rapport with her. She's a very experienced veteran teacher, just great rapport with the kids. And it just, it was so much fun to be in her room. It just, it just made me feel great just seeing how positive she was with the students. And, and it's, it's kind of funny. She asked me, she said, do you miss being in the classroom? And so she has two children of her own that are, are in their mid thirties. And so I, and she was asking me about my kids and, you know, she said she misses having, you know, the babies and the, the young kids at home. And I told her, I said, I miss teaching a classroom. Like you claim to miss having young children. You miss the, the cuddles and the, the fun experiences and just how they're, you know, when they're happy, they're, they're beyond happy of a, of a normal person. But I know you don't miss the sleepless nights. I know you don't miss all of the hardships that come with being a parent of young children, kind of like that for the classroom. I, every day, absolutely miss having my crew, my group that I get to be with on a daily basis and have fun with, joke around with, lead and, and help them learn. But I don't miss a lot of the stuff that comes with being a teacher, the extra baggage that, that like you were just talking about, the grades, the justification of grades, the report cards. There's so many of those aspects that I don't miss. So I, I just thought that was kind of a, a funny analogy that I, I had in that conversation with her. But, um, you know, things are great. And our, our guest tonight talks about passion in, in the, what she does with, with teaching music. And, you know, how, how, did, you, how did you foster, find, and, and tap into student passion in your classroom, similar to the ways that, that Claire talks about tonight as a, as a music teacher? So I think that, uh, um, oh gosh, it's tough. yeah, I think, you know, we, the entry in the door is, uh, this is how I'll start that, that answer. The entry in the door is feeling like you understand the kid's interests so that the first thing that I would often do, especially early in the school year is I would bring up whether it's scenarios uh, or examples that connected with what the kids were saying. You know what? I had a kid that was interested in baton twirling. And so I would use that as a reference point and a kid that was interested in soccer. And so when we were talking about, you know, how do you show respect? Well, if you were out in the soccer field, you wouldn't do that, right? Kind of tapping directly into those different areas. But I think we've talked about it before, the idea of allowing kids to be creative, and that might include whatever way they feel like they want to demonstrate. And I think we've said it before, 
the investment of time to go see a kid in their passion outside of school, A, connects you to that kid so much further, but also just seeing them in their environment can often jog an idea of how you can pull into your classroom. You know, there were how-to activities that we would do. And you know what? We'd have some people would do how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And other people would, how do you do an ollie on a, a, a skateboard? And other people would be, how do you um, paint a, an emoji figure? Whatever the case may be, there are definitely times and opportunities where you can tap into those passions. It is tough to say, you know, I would love for us to go outside to the playground and do this activity all the time. Um, but there are ways to do it. That's not a great answer, but do you have any other suggestions of how you could reach into it more? So I would say utilizing or tapping into students' passions and connecting it to the lesson, uh, I always found to be extremely difficult and challenging to do as a, as a teacher. But what I really enjoyed doing was finding students' passions and leveraging that in different opportunities. So, you know, related to, to what we talked about with Claire tonight, music. I'm, I'm not musically talented. I never was as a kid. I didn't pursue it as a kid. I always find it fascinating and so impressive when students can do that. Um, the same with like uh, art in terms of painting, drawing. Kids are great at writing, different things that they're they're good at, you know, in the integration of technology, if there was a particular program a student was really strong with. And I would really encourage them to leverage that skill and leverage their peers' skills. So if we were doing something as simple as uh, publishing a short story and I wanted them to have like a, a book cover, I would tell them, you can quote unquote, hire one of your classmates to make your book cover for you. You know, let let someone else do it for you if they're really good at it, as long as they have their work done or someone else is helping them with a different piece. You know, when it came to the curricular objectives, well, the curricular objectives were writing the story. It had nothing to do with the illustration of the cover. Well, if you as the author can hire someone to illustrate your cover because most authors are hiring illustrators. What's the big deal? You know, connected to this podcast specifically, any digital graphic you've seen, I have not made at all. Uh, I, we have a great friend, Dylan Peters. He's also an educator. He is phenomenal with graphic design. And I said, here's my idea. Here's kind of what I want it to look like. And he makes it a million times better than anything I could have. He's helped me with presentations. He's taken my slides and redesigned them. He did the intro music for us. You know, I, I tap into people to help me accomplish some of my goals because that's the way the world works. And I tried to do that in my classroom. And my biggest motivator was not so that my students had a better looking product. It was because I wanted those students to feel that win that other people needed them and wanted to um, take advantage or use their strengths. And it always seemed as though that the students that were being sought out for something kind of uh, particular like that, like illustrating a cover or teaching them how to use the program, they weren't the standout kids in the typical academic sense. And when you can give those students a win like that, 
I, I just think that's so important. And, you know, that's really what our guest tonight, Claire, does on a daily basis, that the experiences she's creating in her music class in the elementary level, the musicals she's doing, the way she's bringing up kindergartners, the way she's providing student ownership to her high school students, it's just incredible. And, you know, you and I know just from talking with her for an hour that she's empowering so many students that don't feel empowered on a daily basis. And, you know, whether or not you teach music, this is an episode that you can pull away so many key strategies that she's using. Uh, before I throw it to her, I feel like you want to jump in with with something. Yeah, I just I, I there's just one portion that really stuck out to me is, you know, what you just mentioned about how you have kids tap into their interest, into their passions. That's what we need right now. Right. Like I, I see it in my own classroom and I see it in my school community and we hear about it a ton. Right. Like when we talk about SEL, we need to capitalize on kids interests and make them feel like rock stars in some capacity. Whatever that might look like, it is so important for just the health of kids, well beyond the academic components. Um, finding a place, and I think, you know, um, I was listening to a podcast recently specifically on esports, and uh, actually our buddy Ryan was on, and he was talking about, imagine going to a stadium that is packed watching middle schoolers, and this is happening across the country, playing Smash Brothers or, or Rocket League, and they're on stage and they win and the crowd goes wild. That kid that's probably on stage would never, ever have an opportunity like that. To be in a, a stadium environment or have fans in general and get risen up by positivity, win or lose, they would never have that opportunity. And we just need to figure out how we can connect and, and help kids find their their selves and find their own happiness. And I think that is the, the the real benefit of these specials and why specials are so important in our classrooms and the development of kids. You know, uh, yeah, it's great for phys ed to identify the physically uh, talented skills, just like the artistic skills, just like the music skills, just like the STEM skills, the the readers, what have you. All of those help identify and may be even more beneficial long-term career-wise or lifelong happiness-wise than what I taught in my ELA class today. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that's right along the lines of you know what we're talking about here and what we learn from uh, listening and, and learning from Claire. So without any further delay, let's jump into that interview with Claire Clifford. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing today? Good. We're super excited to have you here with us. So to kick things off, why don't you officially introduce yourself? Let our audience know where you are coming from, what you do in education, and kind of just what a snapshot of your career has looked like so far. Um, so my name is Claire Clifford, as you said. Um, I am from Halstead School District, USD 440 in Halstead, Kansas. And I currently teach fourth grade through 12th grade. I teach general music, vocal music, musical theater, um, English as a second language. And then I also am the sponsor and in charge of several different activities um, at the schools. 
Um, prior to this, I taught band and choir um, for three years um, at Leon Bluestem, and then um, student taught also in the Shawnee Mission School District. Excellent. So uh, I want to I want to jump right into the to the world of teaching music and you teaching fourth through 12th grade. So I'm going to make an assumption. You can let me know if I'm correct or not, but your, your fourth graders, your fifth graders are, they're taking music as a special and it's not really an elective or a choice. And then as you get into high school, students are, are choosing to take choir or music or whatever those, those courses are like. What do you notice as a difference in terms of the dynamic of the class of, of how the students engage with, with your, your curriculum and your content and, and also kind of how you have to tweak your instructional style with the, the students that, for lack of a better term, are forced to be in your class versus electing to be in your class? Well, I sort of have um, a wonderful opportunity that um, also with what I do, I do piano lessons and then I also do a summer musical theater program um, in the community. And I start that when they're in kindergarten. And I do that for about 70 to 80 kids every summer. And so, yes, a lot of kids, yes, they have to be in my class when they're in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. But because of those other things that I've been doing, I don't usually see um, a huge like pushback or very negativity. The kids just have been a part of it. And they sort of, there's so many of them that know who I am or they, your brothers and sisters know who I am because I teach so many grades that they just come in excited and maybe a little bit worried and nervous at first. But then once we get going, I think because of the way that I teach and some of the methodologies that I use, um, I'm trained in Kodai and that's what I push as my main methodology um, for education. Then the kids just seem to, from the get-go, are pretty gung-ho and want to be a part of things and want to do their very best. And even right now, as we're getting ready for the holiday concerts, um, like a snapshot of my classroom is that they all are truly working their very best. Um, and that looks different for every kid anyways, but they are trying to give me their best effort, it seems. Did you say trained in code in Kodai? Yes, Kodai. Can you explain? I've never heard of that, Matt. Have you ever heard of that? Okay. I uh, have so not. Can you explain what that is? It's a music methodology. Um, and it, what it is, it's based out of Hungary. And in Kansas, it's something that a lot of different music teachers have, um, and it's across the United States too. But it's the main focus is finding joy in music education, but also using folk songs um, to teach those elements and to teach those songs. Um, so teaching rhythm, teaching melody, teaching all the concepts of music through different folk songs. So some of the songs that your parents or your grandparents would know, um, but tracing them back to the root and really pushing the main concepts and then teaching it and other things. That it was trained by Zoltan, Zoltan Kodai was where it came from. So out of Hungary. That was very interesting. So I have a ton of questions. I'll start, I guess, with this one. Um, so I had friends when I was in college that were um, in art majors and music majors with a focus of bringing that to education. And genuinely, Ken, I, I challenge you and I and the listeners that are regular ed teachers, uh, classroom teachers, that I feel like your preparatory process was significantly more challenging 
challenging than a standard education teacher. I feel like what you just mentioned in your introduction is you're required to do these things all the time. And that starts back in, I mean, I'm sure way before high school when you're doing music for love and enjoyment and I'm in, I'm having such a great time that maybe I can transition this into my career, but it also goes to this level of almost an expectation that you need to do, uh, if you're an instrument player, you need to be in the band or in the music department, you have to be doing chorus, and then that transitions to college band levels, and there's a ton of requirements, and I don't think we give music and, and art educators enough credit for all of the work that they're expected to do. Is that something you feel like you had from the beginning or and just kind of developed a, a stamina to handle it all? Um, well, I am one of six kids and sort of the expectation when we were growing up was we all did it, instruments. We all learned piano. We all played instruments in the band. We all went to the honor bands. We all were in the honor choirs, all the different things. And so that part, I think I never knew any different um, with that. But then as I went into college and now, especially as an adult, I really have looked for the opportunities to be able to um, get better at those things or to gain more understanding as far as whether, you know, getting my master's in music education or getting general music education, but then going and getting certified in Kodai, like I said earlier, or ORF or doing other things like that. And then now I really try to make sure that I stay up with my piano skills because yes, I need that for the students, but I also need that as my own personal thing to be able to play piano, to be able to help the students understand those things. And if I'm teaching them piano, then they only, in the end, they're benefiting me because they can read the notes and they can play their own parts and they can do those things. And that's one of the things that I've seen pay forward a hundred times is if I can lay a really strong foundation for the students, then they're going to help other students and they're going to help me in the classroom because they have a lot of that basic knowledge that they can share and that they can, I can utilize if I want to separate them into groups or if I want to do that they partner up or small groups or anything like that. So yes, you're very right that there is a lot um, if you're going to be a music teacher, but I think in a general classroom, there's a lot too, because you know if you're elementary, you might teach reading and math and social studies and science in a day, but... And, you know, on my side, I'm just teaching music, as people say, but there are a lot of different sides to music on that side of it, too. So it, I think that there's two sides to every coin. Of course. And I, I just uh, and I know you'll be uh, humble in this situation, but the, I mean, to you know what? Uh, a music teacher that teaches piano and then shifts to woodwinds that then shifts to um, doing lighting and sound for the, the musical like there it may fall under the category music, but it's a huge umbrella um, that I just, it, it's one of those things that I, I always, I guess my perspective as a, I was, I played an instrument, I was in a uh, elevated chorus, I was doing um, show choir stuff, traveling around our local area. I almost thought about going for music ed because it was a passion of mine. And I legitimately saw how committed people in music education are um, and it's just incredibly impressive. I, it almost seems like you acquire uh, the responsibility of all of the extracurricular activities in addition <laughs> to teaching. That is the hard part, right? Like 
involved with marching band, involved with the musicals, involved with, you know, what any additional aspects and to do all of those at a high level, that's incredibly challenging and demanding of your time. And I think if you have the buy-in from the students, then yes, it's very demanding of your time. But if the students buy in, it truly is your job becomes so much easier. We just finished doing our fall musical. And that was one of the biggest things is that, yes, it was a lot of work. And yes, it was a lot of challenges. And there was so much. But because I had such buy-in from the students, it went so much easier. And they took on so much more of the leadership and of the ownership. And even just, I don't know, doing a wonderful job because they had invested in it and they were taking pride in it too. And I think that goes with a lot of things we see in education and in the world. If you, if they have ownership and they take pride in it, they're going to give you way more effort and they're going to do so much more. So yes, it's a lot on your, you, but students can take ownership and they can do a lot of the work too. So that's something else I've I'm getting better at. I am not perfect at that, <laughs> but I'm getting better at understanding the kids can take ownership too. So I really want to jump into that topic of, of what you just said, but I want to, I want to stay on what Matt has brought up for just, just another minute. So to put, you know, to categorize, you know, I, I will say that many teachers don't fit this box, but you mentioned about elementary, you know, we teach a lot of subjects. Matt teaches fourth grade. I used to teach fifth uh, before moving to secondary we're no elementary teachers are known jack of all trades. They're not a master of any content. They're the master of kids. You know, you have that whole whole thing. And then, you know, you have secondary teachers or even taking it to like professors. They're just known as master of content, not master of kids, that that whole concept. But what I find fascinating, like Matt's saying about music, is you kind of have to be both because you have to take students from especially you're you're going elementary through through high school, you have to take students that know nothing about instruments and singing and music and reading notes and, and all those components to pushing students to really mastering these instruments and all of the instruments at the same time. I'm, I'm right there with you, Matt. I, I find I find that the challenge of being a music teacher, a band teacher, just fascinating, especially, you know, when I'm when I'm leaving the high school. And I'm seeing the marching band practice. It's just incredible what it's it's incredible what good music programs in schools can produce, whether it's the musical, it's the the concerts, whatever whatever the case is. So, you know, Claire, if you could just speak to, you know, what are things that you see, you know, as a commonality or even as a challenge of that first initial lesson of teaching music to now pushing these high school students to potentially you know, playing in, you know, playing in clubs or pursuing it in college or whatever that is, that, that full gamut of what you're working with. I think a lot of it um, is even helping them utilize some soft skills. Um, so yes, they have to have the music skills. Yes, they have to have the foundation of, okay, I'm going to learn these new notes or I'm going to learn these rhythms. But something I start with at the very, very beginning, even with my fourth graders, is we don't say, oh, no, this is hard or, oh, no, I can't do this because that doesn't fix anything and that doesn't change anything. Instead, it's saying like, OK, what's the next thing you need to know or what's the next question or what things do you see here or trying to point out little things because complaining about it is not going to really benefit them or is not going to improve it. But instead, trying to every time we go through a song or every time we work on something, point out a new concept 
or help them understand when they are being successful and helping them take pride in what they are doing too. And that's sometimes what I think makes the biggest difference as they move forward and they have confidence is letting them know, oh, you were doing a great job or, oh, that was wonderful and the things that they aren't doing well. And so, you know, because with fourth graders right now, they understand, but they only understand so much and that yet we're singing songs and we're having to perform them. So I have to pick out the pieces that I need to have to make it concrete and help them learn. And then every day just add a little things or every day point out different things in the music. And if I continue doing that, then eventually, you know, kids are asking more questions or we are breaking it down more. And not every kid is at the same level either, because sometimes I have a kid, you know, fourth grade through sixth grade, but then they decide not to take choir for a little while. And I always tell them that I can help them if they decide like in high school, they want to come back. They can always come back because I can always help them get back to where they, you know, where everyone else is. And I want them to always know that they are welcome um, to sing, to be a part of it. Because I heard this a long time ago, and I do believe it. Music is something you can do from cradle to grave. You can do it all your life. Sports are wonderful, but there will become a point where I can't do the sports or I can't, you know, run like I would want. But for the majority of people from birth until you die, you can, you know, when a baby's cooing, it's musical, you know, and then you can play piano forever or you can sing forever. So that's another thing that I think you're never done learning in education in a lot of areas, but especially in music, you can just always continue to grow and learn and be exposed to other things or challenge yourself to learn different skills to add in. I think that is, uh, Totally why you can get why people that are in the music industry and or in music education just absolutely love what they do. And um, it is a lifestyle. It's a full commitment. And um, the behind the scenes work is a lot like choosing music is a, a process in its own right and, and making those connections. Um, I, I The question, I again, many things come through my head. The thing that sticks out to me is a lot of times music education represents what we can uh, have been pushing with STEM education and uh, the appropriate um, learning possibilities, right? Hands-on, involved, your active learning. That has always been a part of music education. And I think for a long time, even if you didn't have the talent in music education, you could still be successful in music education. You know, I picked my kids up from music class and my music teacher will say, this is going to be an interesting holiday performance. Um, they love it. They're having a great time on the stage, but they they don't necessarily sound the great or this sounds really great and um, what have you. But one of the things that I am always impressed by is with my fourth graders, they're singing songs in different languages that they've memorized, that have motion that go along with it. Um, I know in the primary grades that music and song is a great way to connect learning to a deeper level. Can you kind of speak to what almost seems like you do the impossible in music? You take these incredibly challenging skills and, and um, experiences and put the words that the kids don't know to music that the kids don't know and 
by the end of the semester, put a performance on in front of parents. That's incredible. That it's just, can you talk about that different differentiating or what you do on your end to tackle such a challenging skill at the, at the end of the day? I think it's looking and trying to make sure that you have um, endless amounts of tools in your toolbox um, for the kids, because every kid is going to be different with that. And what they need is going to be different, but also trying to think with the music, like how do I serve the kids with the music that I'm picking? You know, is it too challenging? Is it um, going to be something that they are going to learn from? Are there concepts I can teach in this with what I'm doing? And I think for me, I try to think, how do I make this cross curriculum constantly? Because what can I teach them? What is it? Am I teaching them something with history? Am I teaching them something with reading and spelling? And I think that's the thing that I really enjoy the most, or I find the most fulfilling um, when we're working on songs is kids who seem to sometimes have struggles with reading, then turn around and they're reading their music, which is going by so much faster than they may, they may read in a book, but it's because of how it's connecting in their brains and how like the repetition with that too and so reading fluency or, you know, um, just in general, their fluency seems to improve. And I get to see that part of it, too, which then connects that to the reading classroom or to the other classrooms. And I talk to the kids a lot about, oh, well, we just did math. And I explain, you know, what we did, you know, as far as the rhythms or how the beats fit together. And so sometimes I'll make jokes with them of like, oh, and then we did science because we're singing and singing and using your vocal cords is science. So I guess, you know, you got all your classes. T today you came to music class. We took care of it all, but it is something that, you know, there is a lot of those different cross curriculums that you can choose to be a part of. And I think also meeting the kids where they're at and then pushing them to their very best and encouraging them to be their very best with those things too. How much have you found when preparing for for concerts where uh, the, like Matt referenced the choice of music. So you've kind of hit on two things here, uh, what they're capable of, what they're, so it's needs to be something that they're capable of doing, but also you want to push them. And I would assume also just interest in the song is going to be a huge part in, in their success. So what have you found? Because these are two things that are, that will translate across any type of class that we're teaching. This is not a music conversation. We're talking about having things that are appropriate for students to do, but also push them to exceed their boundaries and is also something that they're interested in. So how how do you find that to be impactful in preparing for that? And, you know, what are your strategies for kind of identifying and knowing that they will be interested and will hit those those key expectations? So one of the things I say to them a lot of times when we're first starting um, music is that. I give examples of like, have you ever gone to a movie? And at first you didn't know if you liked the movie or not, but then by the end you loved the movie. Or I say the same thing about a book. Have you ever started a book? And then, you know, later on realize like, oh my goodness, I love this book. And so we talk about that first and, you know, not making your first decision just based off of what you hear or what somebody else did. And I also talk to them about how this is artistic and the music, just because you heard it one way, isn't the way that it has to sound when we perform it. Or it might get, you know, you might get uh, meaning from what you sing um, because that's how art work works, you know, and that's how it, it works when you are being a musician is you put meaning behind it. And the meaning that I have for a song doesn't have to be the same meaning that you have for a song. 
I might picture that we're in a forest at this point. You might picture that it's, you know, dancing in your kitchen. There's just going to be different meaning to every song. And then also as we, you know, I usually have three to four songs per class for a concert and I'll have different times that I say, okay, what's your favorite song? You know, and the kids will raise their hands for certain ones and then just helping them understand that just because one's your favorite song doesn't mean it's your friend's favorite song. And so we all have different tastes in music too. And you want them to do their very best for your song. So therefore you want to do your very best for their song too. Sort of just making sure that everybody understands we all have to work together to provide the very best concert for everyone also, and to do the music to our very best ability. I think that sounds similar to what we in classrooms, uh, do when we're choosing novel studies, right? Like if I have a, a, a group that is more boy-centric or girl-centric, if it's at a certain lexile, whether it's, uh, you know what, we've read uh, a story in nonfiction that I really love that, right? We have to pick and choose and, and you do choose things to hopefully expand their perspectives, but you also have to kind of get their buy-in and, and kind of get them to to lean into it. I guess my my challenge, since you are that master of, I'm sure, much more than none, but um, you're multi-talented, what do you think is the most rewarding um, part of your position since you have many hats? And what is the thing that challenges you most since you are um, constantly meeting with different levels of uh, skill? Like I Like that high school skill is... I mean, a lot of people that are in that are looking to possibly use that as a career. In fourth grade, like you said, they may be developing fluency skills through music and just having a great time. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite thing, and this is something that comes from music, but it's also something that comes from working in the smaller community that I work in and the position I work in, is that I get to have these kids from fourth grade until 12th grade. But then also because I do a summer musical program, I have kids from kindergarten until 12th grade. So some of the kids that I have right now, I've had them for nine years. And I just recently at a concert even pointed out that there's days that I have a sibling that's in fourth grade. And then maybe later on, I have a sibling that's in seventh grade, same family. And then I have another one who's a senior. Or just recently, I did a concert and I had seventh grade brother on the concert, first person, you know, first group singing. And then the senior brother was the last person singing. And so just seeing that growth and seeing that change there and also knowing that they're going to hold each other accountable or that they know, you know, if I say, well, I talked to your brother earlier today, you know, having that shared part of it too. Um, but on the flip side, the challenge too is, you know, having kids that may not see the value in it as much as I do or may not understand the value in it as much as I do. And I think we all have that in education, that things that you're passionate about, realizing that the kids might not be as passionate about, or they might not um, click with it as much as you do, whether it's a lesson, whether it's you know the thing that you love, not always are the kids going to connect with it in the same level as you. And so rather than getting upset or being bothered by that, trying your very best to see how many other approaches or how many other ways can I help them connect with this too? Because it's not going to be just the first time that every student connects, but maybe by keeping the door open continuously, 
as they mature, as they change, as things change in their lives, maybe that is the thing that they need. And maybe that is the connection that they have. And maybe as they get to know you personally too and make the connection with you as a teacher or a friend in the classroom, that maybe then they're able to come back to that. So that's a challenge, but hopefully it's a challenge that helps me be a better educator too. Absolutely. And I think that hearing you say that, I mean, that is just the embodiment of, right? We we look for progress. We look for those light bulb moments. We look for that, you know, um, effort and, and all of those features that grow and grow and grow. Um, I don't want to go too much further before going back to a comment you said. You said you loved talking about how you can connect to cross-curricular academics and, and whole child, those type things. Um, and I know that our music department does that, but how do you feel like you make an impact besides just reading music and reading uh, the words uh, like fluency or breaking down, you know what, this is a half note, this is a quarter note, um, different things like that. How do you pull in cross-curricular that you feel like you're really touching more than just isolated music? So um, as the kids, you know, and it's continuously, but we talk about poetry or we talk about um, word painting or, you know, understanding how a word fits together, understanding how syllables work. Um, we've talked about history. Um, even just recently, we finished our musical and we did Anastasia, which has a tremendous story behind it in history. And so even through that, even though the musical is outside of the regular class time, it's an extracurricular, I felt like that was a lot of cross-curriculum that happened there as far as like discussing, discussing the history and the Romanov family and all those different aspects too. Um, but I think, you know, discussing science, you know, what happens with your vocal cords, but then also whether it's a song, there might be a song that discusses different parts of a science experiment, or even as we're going through things and experiencing different instruments or trying different things out with instruments, doing that. The piano is one that the fourth graders just, it's like they've never seen a piano before. And I think it's because I have a grand piano but then they love to just sit and watch how the hammer hits the strings and how the notes are the strings vibrate and the notes come out. And so that's another part where we're able to just discuss, you know, science or make that cross curriculum too. So a lot of times it's just looking at what we're teaching or what I'm going through or how the opportunity arises and trying to connect that to their other classrooms, because then I feel like, just as an experiment works or an experience, if they can remember that and connect it later, then it's going to have an, a longer lasting connection or impact on them and what they're doing. Yeah, it's great because you're you're building background knowledge just in those those teachable moments, which I which I think is super important. I think it's it's great that you're doing that. So earlier you talked about uh, developing student ownership, and you've you've found the value in turning more, it seems like turning more and more over to your students, which, um, you know, we've had many conversations on this show and a, a big passion of mine is, is student centered learning and developing that, that student ownership in my own classroom. So what have you found as, you know, what have you found just over your experience, you know, has that progressed 
each year that you're you're turning more and more over just kind of explain what that looks like and and um the difference you've seen in, in what it creates with your with your class with your productions whatever the case might be so first of all that's um something that's very challenging for me because i do have moments i i like control i think and a lot of educators do um so it's not easy always for me to turn over control to them, but it is something that administration um, at different times has said, you know, like we want the kids to take ownership of their education because if they take ownership of their education, then they're going to value it more and they're going to have more of a passion for it. And so um, it's something that I've seen that the kids, if you give them the opportunity, they really are going to take advantage of it in a positive way. And they really do want to show you, like, we can handle it or we can do these things too. And they do it by seeing examples. So for me, just recently with the musical, as I was talking about earlier, um, usually I'm the first one to try to set the stage or get the sound fixed or, you know, do things like that. And by doing that with example, the students started taking control of that. And they started realizing, like, oh, well, this is usually what Mrs. Clifford would do. Or this is what I need to be doing in that moment. And so this weekend, it was so interesting to see them be the first ones to jump up on the stage to fix things. Or them to be the ones who noticed like, oh, that person's microphone was having issues. What do we need to, you know, and it wasn't even them asking as much, but them simply fixing the issues. Or, oh, I already took care of that. Or already I went and checked that. And so it's just been enjoyable to see that if you give the opportunity they really will do a lot with it. And they really have the ability to take ownership or not, um, and just to make it their own, I guess, because it is ownership, but there's like a different way because they want to put their own spin on it too. I think it requires a lot of trust. And, and in doing that, <laughs> like you're saying, like you're saying, it's not just about them doing what you want them to do or doing what you would have done, but doing it in the way that they want to. And it requires obviously trust for us to, to allow them to do that. But also they need to know that that trust is there. And, you know, this may sound ridiculous, but one of the easiest ways to do that is to look at them and say, I trust you to do this. They, sometimes they just need to hear that, that you are recognized. You're being very explicit. I trust you to do this. If you get stuck, let me know. Or after they do it, you know, reflect on that practice. Like, was that the best strategy? That's not the way I normally do it. Maybe their strategy is better. Maybe it's it's the same. It doesn't really matter the way that the task is completed. Um, when I was when I was teaching fifth grade, I ran a news studio in our in our elementary school, and it didn't exist before. It was something that I started, and my number one goal was that it was a student led production, and that required a lot of effort for me to learn it. But then it it turned into, you know, I wanted the students to take over control. I wanted my job to just sit there and watch to, you know, kind of keep them on task, to keep them on target with the the time, the allotted time that we had and solve problems that they didn't know how to solve. But then hopefully I never had to solve that problem again. Um, and with that too, and, and I would assume, so please feel free to jump in with the the age range that you're teaching and, you know, like your musical specifically, I'm, I'm sure it's multiple grade levels. My, at the end of the year, I brought fourth graders into that fifth grade exclusive club 
they were going to be the leaders of the following year. They had one month to learn everything. And so the following year, they carried the torch. So I wasn't repeating the process every September of teaching an entirely new group of students. So are you le- are you leveraging that that kind of student to student mentorship or, or leadership in in kind of keeping the momentum moving forward with that student ownership? Well, the best way um, that seems to be happening recently is a lot because I have freshmen through seniors. I have several freshmen who have stepped up and they want to do those positions. So for example, one of them ran the spotlight. One of them was my assistant. And so, and then one of them wanted to be like the stagehand or the person who was in charge of crew. And so because they are freshmen, it's been kind of neat to see how they already are taking that task on. And I know for the next three years that I have them for sure. And if I can like have that they're teaching one or two other people that they take on that. But there have been years, you know, that it is that you have to start over. I have to teach them different ones. But it, um, once you teach it once, they seem to be quicker and faster at understanding and then helping share with others too. So that's another part that's been enjoyable to see. All right. I'm going to come with a, a little bit of a heavy question, I think. I hope. And I hope it's a really positive one. So I know a little story time. So as I mentioned, I was in musical theater and we we lost our advisor. She left our building and someone stepped in. And because of that, we kind of created a class where we, as the students, were the director, the music director, the stage manager. We did everything. And a person, that was a course that we kind of wrote in a scramble because we ended up having to do it. And it turned into a beautiful experience. And it ended up sticking as a course where every semester we would put on a different production in addition to the school show. It was really neat. And what grew from that was, you know, this idea of it being a career. And you know what, I could see myself going into production and and I have friends of mine that are on Broadway right now doing things that when I was in high school, they were performing next to me and managing music. It's incredible. One of the things that I think is really neat is in an industry like this, you get to see students continue their love of music well beyond um, just their time with you in the classroom, whether it's, you know, what they go and they're in. uh, I have a friend of mine who has numerous people that he's gone to see in college bands at football games and to see them part of that or to be a performing musician outside of school. Are there any experience that you've gotten to see, you know, what this lifelong love of learning and music continue beyond just your classroom experience? Um, I currently have one student that's getting ready to um, start student teaching. So that's very exciting, um, just seeing that part of it. And I've had kids come back and observe me and um, share those parts of it, too. Um, I have a few students from when I first uh, was teaching in my first couple of years that now they're out teaching music lessons or they're out working for professional bands um, and singing in groups, too. And so some of that is really amazing to see that or to have kids even come back later and say, like, you know, I really enjoyed your class or this is something that now I do it maybe not as a career, but I do it as a hobby or I do it as something that I continually want to pass on to somebody else. 
because of being in your classes or from the memories and experiences we've had together. So some of that has been a wonderful payoff or a wonderful opportunity that I feel like what I've taught them is going to go be taught to somebody else. So that part is enjoyable. And I think that's another thing, you know, we know that is general education too, but in music, realizing that the songs you teach, eventually, hopefully they're, they're going to get taught to other people or that joy and passion for music is going to get passed on to other kids, not just the ones I taught, but hopefully many, many, many more kids in the future. Well, and even beyond that, just the, they find identity in music, right? I feel like middle school, high school, they struggle with really finding their place. And even if they latch into music or production or what have you to, to be a positive influence in an uncertain time, I know that's where a lot of people kind of find themselves. That has, I, I guess, whether the, hey, I have a performing music they found a hobby that they absolutely love or, or just tapped into their creative potential. That's what, as educators, that's our goal, right? To, to kind of guide them on that path to happiness uh, and, and whatever that looks like. It's so cool. Kind of a, along those same lines with, with these students that are taking it to the next level with their passions, how much of your classes performing and, you know, concerts, musicals, all these pieces, how much of a positive impact do you think that has on the the motivation level and the drive that you see in the students in your classroom? Because as, as teachers, we always talk about provide real world experiences. Uh, we had an art teacher on a while ago, and we talked about how the art show is that real world experience. You're displaying your art for the community to see. Your musical concerts, the same idea. How much of a uh, of a positive impact do you feel that that real world application has on the success of, you know, what happens on a daily basis in your classroom? I think it has impact on my classroom, but it also has impact on the students in general and the pride that they take um, in a lot of things they do. They, you know, do well at a concert or do well at a musical and then go and speak to someone else or someone else talks to them or it's in the newspaper. They take pride not only in the performance that they did, but in the fact that they're able to share that with the community or that they're able to have that pride in our school and in what we're doing. And so I think it's something that, again, it teaches them another soft skill or it teaches them another thing that they're really going to need in the future as far as doing things right and doing them to your best ability because you want to do it for others, but you also want to do it for yourself and you want to represent what you're choosing to be a part of. Well, too. And so um, that's something I've seen that really has made these kids take a lot of more ownership and growth too, is they do well in the musical. Well, then they want to make sure that they do well in the concerts because, and I talked to them about that, that people, they will remember all the positive and that is wonderful. But if something negative happens too, they seem to hone in on that. And so you don't want them to forget how wonderful you were at a concert or at a musical just because you didn't do your very best in your next concert, but continually thinking like, how can I grow? How can I challenge myself? How can I be better? So that they, people continually, continually see the positive in what you're doing too. Yeah, that's, 
that's great. So uh, before we jump into the the lesson lens, I want to ask one more question that kind of leads into that. So we're gonna we're gonna pretend here that tomorrow when you when you go to work, you are now a we'll say a sixth grade regular ed teacher. What strategies or what instructional instructional strategies do you use in your music class that you feel across all classrooms? What, what, what specific strategies would you pull out that you think would be most effective in leading just a regular education classroom? I think pacing is one of the things that um, would be more most applicable, um, understanding where kids are and then pacing your lessons continuously and adjusting them to help benefit the students to help meet them where they're at, but then also continually challenge them, them and help them grow in everything that they're doing. So I think that's one of the parts. I think um, creativity or trying to make it very applicable to students in many different ways. When I teach a concept in class, I don't just teach it, oh, this is the same method and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm always looking for other ways that I can use manipulatives or games or songs or stories to help it be for every student. And so I think trying to do that, if I was teaching in sixth grade or in any classroom too, is trying to come at it from many different um, ways or different points of view, because the students are all very different too. And so you wanna make that connection with them. That was a fantastic answer. I love it. All right, so uh, jumping into our lesson lens, uh, we're going to just dive deep into something you've done in your classroom recently or, or back in the past. So question, first question, are we going to look at a unit overview, a long-term project, or a single lesson? Um, I, I'm going to focus more on the long-term project. And the one that I, you know, I keep on bringing up, but just musicals in general and the growth and what I see students do, because I do have it as a class, like Matt was talking about earlier, I have a musical theater class. And so I utilize that to help us prepare for the musical, but then they do it outside of classroom as far as like rehearsals and coming for that, um, just because it ends up being 50 to 60 kids and you can't get, I can't get those kids, you know, on a regular basis for a long-term amount of time. But that is the project that I'm focusing on or that I'm going to have this be focused on. So I'm going to skip to our next question because you kind of tapped into grade level and time of year and subject area is pretty obvious. Um, at the end of the day, what are your main objectives, maybe at the beginning, middle or end of the production? So with the musicals, I kind of have being in a small town and having that as a passion and also seeing the benefit of it. I've been able to do a summer musical, which utilizes kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, so it gets those kids that I don't have in the high school musical. And so then I begin already teaching them some of the basics. Okay, watch out for how you're gonna block this scene. Think about your facial expression. Think about your angles. Think about how you're going to enunciate words. Think about how you're going to interact with the people beside you. So doing the summer theater and having anywhere from 50 to 80 kids in it, I have all these kids coming up already having some of those foundations. And then as they get into high school, then doing ninth grade through 12th grade with a musical in the fall, a lot of these kids have been coming up with that 
information and doing, I've done the summer theater now for eight summers. And so all these kids are now coming into high school and I don't have to teach these foundations as much anymore as far as the basic skills. And so we're able to spend more time really honing in on the musical part, really honing in on making these musicals truly phenomenal because the foundations are set there. And that's the biggest objective is at the beginning, making sure like they have that understanding of what the musical is about and how to be on stage and how to own your songs and how to own what we're doing in each musical. And then in the middle, helping them refine that and make it really what what the intention is of mine for the musical. And then at the very end, it is their musical. And I try to always say that to the kids that now you're the ones on stage. It is your musical. It is your vision. Yes, you're taking what I brought to you, but now you're making it your own. And now you are making it into your memories because I'll have the memories, but the students will have the memories way more, you know, as far as the connections they made, the friends they made, the different things that they're going to look back to. That's fantastic. So, so thinking about, uh, the class that you're that you have to to relate to the musical aside from the after school rehearsals and that kind of stuff so i would assume your class is not you said there's 50 to 60 kids involved in a production so the the class you obviously don't have all 60 kids at the same time so what would you say the students are actively doing during the lessons in that in that specific class time so during the class it depends on the range of students that i have so some students might be in there planning to be on stage. So if they're ones who are going to be acting on stage or singing on stage or performing on stage, they might be working through their scripts. They might be working with other students. Um, our school has also a flex schedule set up. So kids might have study halls at different times or their classes might overlap. And so the students might set up times that, oh, well, this kid has study hall, but they're going to come in so that I can work with them. Are they going to come in so we can work through blocking? And that's something that I've seen be a tremendous um, asset for these kids and for my program for that reason. Um, the other kids might be working on set or scenery or lights or sound. And so through this class, um, we use it as a full project before, after, all the way through to pull costumes, to set lights, to set sound, to go through those skills and teach them how to do all of those things so that when we are getting ready for a program or when we're finishing with a program or a musical, then they're doing those things. And sometimes it might be even taking inventory or figuring out what we need for costumes. But the kids have become really good at having an eye for some of those things and really being able to help out with a lot of that. So you mentioned that you like control, um, as many of us <laughs> educators do. Um, can you kind of speak to what you tend to do? I know even before you pick the musical, there's research that you're obviously involved in. Um, before the lessons start, you have to kind of have a, a direction or an idea of almost scope and sequence. Can you just speak to what your role is from beginning to end and how that changes it? I would say you've mentioned it multiple times, but if there's anything else you'd like to add. Well, that part is 
um, different on the different parts that I'm choosing to be a part of. So if I'm teaching my music class, my or you know my vocal classes, my scope and sequence um, is changing and developing as we're going through each piece of music or as we're going through each concept. So a lot of times at the beginning of the school year, from August until October, I'm trying to teach certain concepts so that when we are preparing for our concerts, the kids have some of those concepts already in their knowledge or they have them in their foundation or I've at least mentioned them or I've gestured to them. Um, and that goes on, you know, even into high school and middle school music is making sure that we're continuously, I'm thinking about how, what I'm going to be able or need to be able to teach the different songs or the different things that we're going to have going forward. And the same thing goes for the musicals or for um, just any of the general classes that I'm teaching, even in the musical theater class, is what things do I need to make sure that they've seen, that they've understood, that they've been exposed to, so that they're able to do their very best and they are able to um, do it later on. So for example, um, if we're putting together a program for the musical, I need to show them several other programs that other schools may have used or that what it looks like, because otherwise, if they've not ever gone to one of these musicals or if they've never been a part of it, they don't understand all that. And so helping them understand where to find those resources, even too, of a playbill or of what a program would look like or what needs to be in a program. And the same thing goes, you know, in the music classroom, helping them understand that we don't just sing the words. We pay attention to the notes that are above it, or we pay attention to how the note goes up and down. And then from there saying, okay, well, but now this is what the note is. That's a G or that's a C. So thinking each part, how do I build upon it? Because it's not going to click, you know, for every kid in the same way, as I said earlier, and it's not going to click the first time, but as we say it 20 different times, or if I'm constantly thinking of someone that might say it differently or might be able to bring in different ideas, then hopefully eventually it clicks for all the students too. I can't imagine. It just, <laughs> it's from the outside perspective, it's just, it seems like a lot. Um, I, I think it's fantastic that you're moving more and more towards that, that student ownership and, and it's challenging, but I've, you, do you also find that it makes your, your, teaching experience a little bit easier at times when the kids are in front of you, but I'd say maybe a little bit more work when the kids aren't around. Do you find that? Yeah. Kind of good? I think, you know, it's like any teacher, if you do a whole bunch of prep before the students seem to do really well with a lot of those things. So if you feel like you've thought about all the different outcomes that it could be, then yeah, it's a lot easier for the students. And I think, the more that we allow them to show us that they can do that and that they want to not only take pride in what they're doing, but they want to impress you. Students want to make us proud too. And they want to make their communities proud. They want to, they want to please people. And so I think some of that makes it easier too once you see that they want to do those things, not just for themselves, but for their peers and for what they're wanting to represent and be a part of. Absolutely. So we're going to jump into our last segment of the show called the exit ticket. Same four questions we ask every guest every week. What is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student school experience better? I think taking time to make the connection, taking time to get to know the students, taking time to 
meet them where they're at every day. Um, our superintendent just recently was saying to us that you don't know when the last positive interaction that a student may have had. So say they went home for the weekend, it might have been 64 hours since the last time that they had a positive interaction. And making sure that when you see them ever, on that Monday morning, when you greet them on that Monday morning, that you're the positive interaction for them and that you're showing them the connection and that you're making the difference in their lives because you don't know what else has gone on. And so I think the biggest thing is the connection and, you know, showing them that you care, being positive, um, just being real and honest with them too. That's an awesome one. And unfortunately, uh, that's far too true. That positive interaction makes a, a huge difference. What would you say is a piece of advice that you hold on to um, that helps you that you've either received from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student? Um, I think just trying to stay true to the person that you are and trying to provide your best, um, working hard for the students. And I think, that, I guess that's the thing I always try to think about is, am I doing what's best for the student? And really looking, if I can look myself in the mirror and know that I did what was best for the students, then you just go from there that I put them first. So following that up, I guess we we understand that the school year goes in waves and you have a different trajectory than we do. Um, definitely with your holiday concerts, when your musicals are coming up and other requirements from our end is traditionally report cards, conferences, those type skills. What is something that you feel like every educator needs to hear to kind of power up and push through through those challenging moments? I, th I think it's just remembering that you don't know the difference, that your positive attitude, that, you're, that you can make for a student every day. Um, because, you know, like it's the kids that come in and they're excited to see you. And if you can bring that same excitement and that same positivity to them every day, um, it's going to pay back. It's just going to, you know, they're going to come back in and they're going to be excited to see you and they're going to be offering compliments. And I think that's something I see a lot of times too, is you tell them like, oh, you look very nice today. Well, the next time they come to class, they seem to tell you that you look so nice. And you're like, well, okay, I didn't know I did. But, you know, they're leading by example. They see it in you too. And so having all of those parts, you know, and making that positivity. And if you're sitting there offering compliments, and offering kindness and offering a positive attitude, then I don't know that it's you're going to see the negative as much. You're going to have the positivity just yourself um, because you're bringing good attitude, but also from your kids because they're bringing the good attitude back towards you too. Absolutely, that's that's so true. Being being positive just makes you feel better, and it makes everyone else around you feel better. So it's very easy for teachers to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What do you think separates the teachers who are constantly seeking change, innovation, and new t and incorporating new teaching strategies in their classrooms? I think trying to understand that our students are changing, just like we're changing, um, and trying to find those opportunities to adapt with that and realizing that 
it might be stuff that you used 10 years ago, and that's okay too. But it might be new things that you have to go looking for or that you have to come at from a different angle or a different viewpoint to provide what the students need. And also understanding that sometimes you maybe talk to the kids and you ask them because they're going to have resources and they're going to be able to share things or they're going to bring different viewpoints too. And I think finding your colleagues, finding your students, finding students that have graduated in the past and asking them for insight too. So last thing is uh, really, how can we follow along in your journey and, and continue to learn from you? Are there ways that you post or share what is going on in your classroom and in your community? Um, I am on Twitter um, under Clifford Kodai. And so, or Claire Kodai, I can't remember right now, um, but I do have that. And then just through our school district, USD 440, we have a tremendous amount of things going on. Um, and so that's another area I would say we're working to highlight that as far as we are a one-to-one -one, um, school district. So every kid has an iPad, um, kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade. So that's been something. Um, and we just work to really give the kids the opportunity to learn, to gain things, and to take ownership in their education. So I would say those two areas are the biggest ones. Um, I'm sure there will be other things coming up in the future, but right now those are the two methods that I'm mostly using. Excellent. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I've had a blast. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Matt and I have definitely learned a lot just from your your diverse experience, what you're doing in your community. Uh, your, your school district and your community is clearly very, very lucky to have you creating not only what are, what I'm sure are fantastic performances for the for everyone to enjoy but the experiences that you're providing for students whether or not they pursue pursue music pursue productions pursue anything related to that just giving them that opportunity to showcase what they've learned what they what they can do is is I I just think is so valuable when we when we're able to create those experiences for our students so everything that we talked about, some links, uh, the links that, that Claire just shared will all be found on our show notes page, which can be found at powereduup.com slash show 49. And um, everything that you need to find will be there. So Claire, thank you again for your time tonight. And we look forward to seeing what else comes out of comes out of your uh, your corner of the state and, and what you're doing with your your community and students. So Matt, why don't you shut us down and take us out of here? Matt, you're muted. <laughs> my dogs, my dogs are barking background, so I muted real quick. Sorry, I'll take it from there. So Claire, thank you so much for the time. Uh, you've done a wonderful job, and I, I love this conversation as well. So as we power down this episode, you have left us feeling powered up. Um, thank you for listening. Um, stay well and, and uh, just continue to make a difference in a child's life each and every day. We will talk to you guys next week. Thank you. There's no way I'm editing that out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> ah!